Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In our next conversation with Joseph, Joseph, Jeff, not with Joseph Smith. I wish we could talk to Joseph Smith, though. <laughs> Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to continue our conversation with Jim Lucas and Jonathan Neville, authors of By Means of the Urim and Thummim. We're going to look at the what the Urim and Thummim probably looked like. So I've had a listener send me uh, what he thinks the Urim and Thummim looks like. It's kind of like there. And uh, we'll also talk about tight versus loose translation. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Are you guys, sorry. Yeah. Stick here and then we'll come back to you, Jim. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, Jonathan, I've talked to you before and you're Mm -hmm. a loose translation guy, but there are. Yeah, but I, I, I don't frame it in the loose, rigid. I think it's just a translation. So I don't know what, when you well, say it's a loaded term is what I'm trying to say. Because so. I know Royal Skousen has said right. that the words appeared on the stone. Yeah. Um, even So even if you're going with Urim and Thummim, mm-hmm. would the words have appeared on those crystals? Well, this is kind of the second that's, part of that's, this book. That's a tight yeah. translation. Right. I mean, Royal Skousen's well, let, let the me only answer that main guy and, who still believes in tight, although right. I do have... Jay Mackley, who believes in tight. Right. So th- let me just address it a little bit, and Jim can address it more. But the second part of this book talks about the theory of translation. And so in our view, the Joseph Smith himself said that he translated the characters with the Urim and Thummim before he ever did any dictating of a manuscript. And, so he w- and he copied the characters so that he could study the actual characters. So we think he learned the characters. But when you translate an ancient language, a character can have a variety of meanings, right? Different connotations. And so we think the Urim and Thummim was giving him essentially a literal translation of what each character meant. But to put it into English, he had to change the grammar. He had to decide which meaning was most appropriate. That's why he had to study it out in his mind. So your combination tight loose? Yes. Well, it's, it's, it's tight in the sense that it, he was actually translating the, the engravings on the plates, but it's not tight in the sense that the Urim and Thummim was telling him what to say. So can, can you imagine, it seems like some of the artist depictions show Joseph with some, the older stuff mm-hmm. shows Joseph with some spectacles, but the problem was the Urim and Thummim, like, it's bigger, it's wider than your head. Like, I don't know how... You, I don't know how it well, would even be used because it, it, it's too big for a normal I don't, human. I don't know if you can get tight on we the il- cover illustration, but we worked... Here, let me zoom in here. ...worked really hard on the cover illustration. And if you look at our cover illustration, you see the Urim and Thummim are, are large. They're larger. And so uh, th- this is... As best, you know, because there's not an absolute perfect, this is rock solid description of them. 
but this is the best we could come up with. And we really worked hard with our artist to come up with this. So it appears that they were larger than regular spectacles, but they were something that were kind of held in front of the face, either by the rod that was attached to the, attached to the breastplate, or maybe they were detachable, but they were kind of used more uh, maybe like a scanner than uh, eyeglasses because they were, by a number of accounts, too large to be uh, yeah. worn on the face like a pair of and eyeglasses. you're wearing glasses and you've right. got those side pieces that go to your ears and there were no side pieces. That's so right. So it was like, how, well, like you'd have to was, hold it the whole time or something. Well, that there was a stem that fit in the breastplate yeah. that would hold it. Right, and so you could do hands Another way, way to consider this is in, in the Book of Mormon, it says they magnified the eyes of those who used them. And it could be that the people who engraved it had to use them as well. Because Orson Pratt described these engravings as very fine. And you're engraving on metal with some kind of a tool, which would be a difficult thing to do. But mm -hmm. if you had a magnification where you could see it, you could do it. And so that's another element of this. We didn't, I don't think we got into that in this book, but I've talked about that before. Right. Okay. So, so. But you're right. The description is vague. Other than that, he said he used, that's what he used. And he actually says, by means of the Urban Thummim. Mm -hmm. Or by the medium of. Yeah, by the medium of or by means of. And so that's why the title is By Means of the Urban Thummim. Because, and, and remember the subtitle here is Restoring Translation to the Restoration. And that's because we feel like there's been this complete dismissal of what Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery said all along from the beginning. That's why they're not in the Gospel Topics essay. And the, the various accounts you read in the Saints book or wherever, they just don't even say what Joseph and Oliver said. And so it, it's certainly, there's room for a variety of interpretations that you said of the tight, loose translation and so on. But what we've proposed, and we've given some examples in here of how you can decipher an ancient character but to put it in English, you have to use the own language that you have. That's where the Jonathan Edwards material comes in and so on. So Joseph Smith was, was understanding what the word meant, but he had to pick how to express it. Mm -hmm. So to get into it, since we're on it, <laughs> our basically um, our model of the translation is that Joseph would look at the plates through the Yerman Thummim, and the Yerman Thummim would give him a literalistic translation into English or uh, what in uh, this tight and loose, that's a, a Royal Scousen invention. It doesn't really, nobody uses that in translation scholarship. In translation scholarship, the common terms are formal equivalency versus functional equivalency. And formal equivalency, you do a translation that tries to stay really close to the source text, including tracking the grammar and and the word order of the original text as much as possible while still being coherent in well, the target language. Whereas functional equivalency is you're saying, you know, well, you know, for example, in the Bible, it's saying, I don't really care how the word order was in Greek or Hebrew. I'm going to express this in a way that is understandable and fluent in my target language, English or Tagalog or Swahili or whatever it is. So that's called functional equivalency. That's what translation scholarship uses. So our model is basically that Joseph was getting 
a literal, a sort of a literalistic formal equivalent translation through the Yerman Thummim in English. And then uh, that would give him a feel for the word order that would have the Hebraic word orders and phrases that uh, people say have flowed through into the Book of Mormon. And it'd give him a feel for what Nephi or Mormon or Moroni sounded like or in kind of their original language. But then that would be pretty inco or pretty hard to understand in English because that would be a very kind of literalistic translation of this very ancient language, Reformed Egyptian, Egyptian, or you know, wherever you want to call it. And then what Joseph had to do, DNC 9.8, was study out in his mind how to express it in English in what would a translation scholarship would be called functional equivalency. In other words, in something that would make sense to 1820s English native speakers. And that's what his task was. And that's what he gave to the scribe to write down. And that's what he was studying out in his mind was he was getting this kind of literalistic uh, uh, translation off of the Urim and Thummim. And then he had to figure out how to say that in contemporary, what for him was contemporary English. So that would explain uh, why the Book of Mormon is full of 19th century expressions and language and grammar errors. It explains why it's in the KG, you know, King James style. It explains why, uh, you know, the, the, the Jonathan Edwards and other kind of preachers that Joseph would have been exposed to explains why their vocabulary is used in the Book of Mormon and so forth. So we say that we collapse the tight versus loose uh, uh, dichotomy. In other words, uh, Royal Skousen set up this, and again, it's just this is just his thing. This is not something you find when you study more broadly the issue of translation scholarship. But uh, his he came up with this tight versus loose because, of course, he's tight. He's saying you got exact words off the German yeah. thumb. Horse, silk, steel swords, etc. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the problem is we have all these anachronisms. Horses aren't found here. Silk's not found here. Steel swords aren't found here. And so it's nice to say, I mean, Jonathan's said before, well, he was just using his own language. And so whatever word yeah. he was using, he just pulled out. Okay. Well, so that's where the, loose is attractive and, and tight is not attractive. Because okay, but the, did he actually see the word horse on the, st- Urim hmm. and Thummim? I was going to say stone, but Urim and Thummim? I mean, if it's the most correct on book, why book on earth, why is God putting horse and silk and steel swords and elephants and things like that on there if they didn't exist? Okay, so the advantages of the uh, tight translation is that it explains all the Hebraisms and the odd word orders from and all of the minute detail that's in the Book of Mormon. The advantage of the loose translation is it explains why it sounds like 1820s English and uses all these phrases and words from 1820s English. So we say that we've collapsed the distinction because Joseph was getting a, 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 not a tight translation, but he was getting a literalistic translation off the Yerman Thummim. And then he was studying out in his mind a way to express it. He would pull out horse and elephant and things like that. Right. In whatever, you know, in the language that he knew, how could he, any translator can only translate into the language that they know. So obviously, when it comes to 
taking this literalistic translation that the Yerman Thummim is giving him uh, and then expressing it in some way that's going to be comprehensible to 1820s Americans, yeah. he's going to use his I guess it would be vocabulary. Similar. I know in the Bible it mentions unicorns, and a lot of people think those mm-hmm. are rhinoceroses because clearly there yeah. are no unicorns. But I guess well, it's it, kind of like that, right? Related to this, too, is it's, we have evidence that Joseph understood that distinction between literal and, and the other because he said the title page was a literal translation. So he mm-hmm. knew what a literal translation was versus a functional translation. And I, I've done a little analysis of the title page to show how it's different than the rest of the Book of Mormon. And it's, it's interesting to see how that could be a literal translation, whereas the, the bulk, there are other parts of the Book of Mormon that appear to be a literal translation as well, but most of it is not, apparently. And so, but, but just the fact that Joseph said the title page is a literal translation tells us he knew what that meant. And he knew that that was different than the rest of the Book of Mormon. So that's an interesting, that corroborates what Jim's just been saying. Right. So in other words, that's our, so we, we're both, we're both tight and loose. Our theory can accommodate <laughs> both tight and okay. loose perceptions. In other words, the advantages or the uh, explanatory power of loose translation and explanatory power of tight translation, our, our model of the translation encompasses both of them. So you're both. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jim Lucas and Jonathan Neville, authors of By Means of the Urim and Thummim. In our next conversation, we're going to look at Emma Smith. She was actually a scribe for the Book of Mormon, and why don't they like her uh, accounts of the seer stone? Well, there's a couple of things wrong with it. Jim will address it probably in more detail, but mm-hmm. you know, two things. One is Emma was clear that there was a distinction between the Urim and Thummim and the seer stone which Garrett Dirt, Matt, and those guys say, well, the Yermathama meant both. If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, subscribe on either Patreon or at gospeltangents.com. For just $5 a month, you can hear the entire audio uninterrupted. On our $10 tier, if you'd like to see the whole video, you can see that uh, either on youtube.com slash gospeltangents, or I've got a special Facebook group devoted for uh, full videos. So subscribe at gospeltangents.com and uh, sign up for just $10 a month. For $20 a month, if you'd like to get some bonus content, uh, maybe some of the stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, you can sign up for that. And then if you'd like to talk to me for $100 a month, we'll, we'll do a monthly phone call on something like Zoom and you can ask me anything you want. So Thanks again. Also, don't forget about the merch, mugs, t-shirts, hats, things like that. I'm trying to get the ties up there. Hopefully I can get up up there. And uh, thanks again for watching Gospel Tangents. And click here for some more videos. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.